Father, I ask you this morning to teach us to seek the kingdom first. I pray, Lord God, for the core attitudes that are required in order to seek the kingdom first and to put the world we live in in its proper alignment with your priorities. And I ask, Lord God, that you would just work in our hearts and in our attitudes and in the way we think. And you would deliver us from the world in which we live and its thinking that we might be kingdom citizens and not just church attenders. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Great job, worship team. Great job. Jesus talked about attitude a lot. So much so that when Matthew and Luke recorded Jesus' sermons, so when you have the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, wherever those sermons actually took place, you, you have basically a summary of the main things that Jesus taught repeatedly. And so when you encounter the Beatitudes in Matthew 6 and, a, and this, the very shortened list in Luke chapter 6, you're encountering some things that Jesus talked about all the time. This was his main, like his main thrust. When Jesus began to share, he shared the, these realities that we have to have different attitudes if we're going to be kingdom citizens. Because you have to understand, Jesus, yes, he is building a church, an ecclesia, an assembly of people to accomplish his mission. But he came to, to instill and install and found a kingdom that that operates out of. Jesus did not die so we could all be church attenders. Do you hear me? If, if the culmination of our faith is simply that we gather each week and encourage ourselves, that, that is falling far short of the value of God's Son dying on a cross. And so, God is moving His church in the world, always has been, but even more so lately, toward thinking as kingdom citizens, not as church attenders. Do you understand this? We have to change the way we think. Going to church isn't enough. Have you looked around you? The world is hurting. People are in need. And the solutions that are being presented today are the same solutions that have been presented for the last 100 years, and they are not working. I'll tell you what does work. Jesus answers work. And Jesus' people should know Jesus answers. And we are kingdom people in this room, not merely church attenders. And everyone in this room is part of a larger kingdom in Rock Springs, in Wyoming, in the West, in this nation, in the Western world, in the world. So see yourself as part of a kingdom and begin to think. Now to get there, we have to have some attitudes. And I'm only going to cover the three attitudes that Jesus covered in Luke 6 for this series. But I want you to understand, for for the rest of the year, I'm going to be focusing pretty hard on kingdom. 
and what it means to be part of the kingdom and what it needs to look like in our community of faith, an ordinary faith, as we interact with other communities of faith and the other churches around. Okay? Are you a little scared? Yes. Amen. <laughs> I'm terrified, but let's see what we can do. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you had a need that you had no way of meeting? When I was uh, a much younger and dumber man, I'm less dumb now, but still dumb. But when I was a much younger man, we got, Chris and I were married very young, and, uh, I wasn't very smart about our finances. And this was back in the days before the internet, cell phones, all these kind of things. And uh, so I had taken out a few loans and I had not been faithful in paying those back. So my credit score, I don't really know how low it was. I'm not sure. I think it was so low it couldn't register. That's how low I think it was. And we needed a car. And I remember going to, uh, and I can't remember how many children we had at the time. We were in Kennett, Missouri, and I think we had three, I think two and one on the way. And um, which is how we track our life. Which child were you pregnant with? (laughs) That's how we know when we're. So uh, I remember going to our bank and trying to get a loan for that car for a car that we needed. And it was, this was so old, it was a, one of those full-size Chevy Caprice station wagons. I owned two of those. Those were one of the greatest cars ever. They are one step short of a pickup truck. I'm just saying, they're amazing. <laughs> and I remember looking at that loan officer and I'm like, listen, man, th- th- this was the day where they couldn't just enter a social security number and get a credit score. You had to wait a few days to get it. So I'm, I'm sitting there, we're having a great conversation. He wants to loan money to me. And I, I say, listen, man, we need this car and so forth. He goes, okay, I'll see what I can do. And he gets all my information. Come back in two days. I came back in two days. He wouldn't even talk to me. That's how low my credit score was. And, 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 but we had a need. And, you know, God opened the door. There was a car lot in town, and they helped us get back on track. And that's when we began to fix our credit scores and all those kind of things. Like I said, we're very young. But I remember my family's future being in the hands of someone I didn't even know. Do you know what it feels like when you need someone from someone and the only way you can get it from them is if they give it to you? That's called being a beggar. And I know a lot of us in this room, we've moved to different stages in life and it's been a long time since we felt that way. But you should know that there are a lot of people in our community who live that reality every day. And we need to keep that in mind as we live our lives, that there are those that small things and small gifts make a huge difference for. So when Jesus talked about poverty, He was connecting us with a place in our lives of deep need. And um, there are a lot of views on abundance and prosperity and all these different doctrines, I guess you'd call them, or teachings that circulate around the church. And I believe that there is abundance with the Father. I believe there's plenty in the kingdom and that there always will be. But I believe this world is passing away. And I believe that if you think what you need comes from this world, 
you're going to struggle. So Jesus talked about a different kind of attitude, a kingdom attitude that moved us from being um, self-sufficient and I'll supply all my own needs and I'll pull myself by my, up by my bootstraps and I'll do what I need to do. He was moving us from a way of thinking that pushed that to the side and admitted something. And that admission was this. I need. I need. And every person in this room, I don't care if you're happy or sad today. I don't care if you're angry or, or feeling celebratory. Everyone in this room has deep, seated, consistent, and continual needs. And to walk around acting like you don't have needs, I don't mean to insult you, but I'm about to, that's dumb. You have needs. What Jesus is saying through teaching us poverty is to come to the right place for the right need. Come to the Father for your needs. This is a kingdom attitude. You read the beatitudes as we like to call them and you might see them as something passive, but they're not. They're assertive. That means they they assertively know what where God is in their priority chain. They know that God is the source and that's what a spirit of poverty or an attitude of poverty knows. God is my supply. You may know how to make money. You may know how to run a business. You may know how to run your career. But even in what you know, that all came from God's goodness. Not from your intellect and industry. And so knowing where that is, is where the the attitude of poverty begins. So let's jump into, we're going to look at several scriptures because we always look at several scriptures. Luke 6.20 Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. The kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, is how Matthew recorded it. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then Luke 6, 24. See, Luke records some things that Jesus said that Matthew doesn't. And we like Matthew's account because he doesn't record the things that Luke records. And Luke says, Luke has an addendum to all these attitudes. And he says in Luke 6, 24, what sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. Whoa, not my favorite verse. I don't know that anyone has that one on their memory verse card on the refrigerator. Just trying to learn that one. I'm praying for a good day, not a bad one. So so I want to lean into this idea of poverty and abundance. I want us to think about this concept of being a beggar. Think about it for a second. What is it in this life that you actually have? Well, you could list some things, you know, your home, some savings, a nice vehicle. That's not what I'm talking about. let's, Let's ante that up a bit. What do you have in your life that's so valuable that you could trade it or barter it for an hour of God's time? What do you have in your life that's so valuable that you could get an appointment in the throne rooms of heaven? 
based solely upon the things that you possess and own and have access to in your own strength. Uh, What do you have that's so valuable you could trade it for your health when you lose it? Or trade it for the finances that you lost when you lose them? My my point, what I'm trying to help us understand is we, we are so proud of ourselves because we compare ourselves with other people who are less than ourselves. Never do we compare ourselves with people who are more than ourselves. And what do we really possess? What do we really have? You just heard that guy from Operation Christmas Child who grew up in a country with far less opportunities than the one you grew up in and live in. What do you have more than he has? In fact, I might suggest that he has far more abundance than we do. Because his dependence isn't upon things upon the world. But he has learned from a young age what forgiveness and grace mean to his life. And so, it's... It's okay to be a beggar. (laughs) It's okay to realize that we have needs. As soon as we begin to realize our own destitution, we begin to enter into access of something. You see, we think wealth is possession. We think prosperity and abundance is possession and control. But it's not. It's access. And poverty, a spirit of poverty, an attitude of poverty that looks at self and realizes I am destitute. There's nothing I can do to improve me. All that I have available to me is only through God the Father, through Jesus Christ. Once I connect with the the bounties of heaven, now I have access to things far larger than me. And it happens through poverty. Faith in realizing that I and myself am not enough, don't have enough, can't acquire enough. Does that make sense? Excuse me. I just wanted to cough in the microphone so I'd get your attention back. (laughs) Isaiah 41, 17 says, When the poor and needy search for water and there is none, and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never Abandon them. When I begin to see myself as someone who needs things from God, when I begin to see myself as someone in need of God, I I put myself in a place where God wants to show up and can show up in my life. And so I, I want us to see that here's a God waiting for you to get to the end of yourself. Waiting for you to get to the end of what you can do and what you can supply. Waiting for you to realize that those bootstraps that you're pulling up aren't connected to anything. I am blind Bartimaeus shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I am the woman caught in adultery who has absolutely nothing to say because of the shame and the failures in my life. I'm the lame man of the pool that cannot get up, can do nothing, can't even crawl out of my terrible situation. Oh, I am, I'm the 10th man with leprosy who, who can do nothing but be unclean. I am Lazarus in a grave. I am so dead I can't get out. That is me. That is the beggar in us. That is the understanding that releases abundance in your life and connects you you with the access to God's supply. Until I have an attitude of poverty, an attitude of need, my only resources are me.
And as soon as I realize I will never be enough, now I've opened my life up to the kingdom because blessed are the poor for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poverty means you can't take care of yourself and that is what we are under the illusion that we can. And I promise you one day you're going to meet a reality that you can't handle. So what I'm encouraging to do is to just go ahead and meet it today. Go ahead and step into the reality today that eventually there will be something happen that's larger than me, that requires more than I have. And when I do that, when I enter into that attitude of poverty, now I'm set on a path of abundance because now I have access to greater and better things. So there's a difference between poverty and abundance. There's a difference between heaven and earth. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So we need to ask ourselves, where are we storing our treasures? Where are we storing our wealth? And how are we doing that? This, this helps us in the attitude of poverty because we need to know what we think is valuable. What do you think is valuable is where you get your security from. Do you get your security from a safe with cash in it? I wonder what that would be like. I don't think I'd ever sleep if I had a safe with a lot of cash in it. I think I would just sleep at the safe with a gun. I'd be like, someone would come in. So yes, I just told you there's no money in my house, so please don't rob me. <laughs> Is it an account with a comma or two or three? If you have three, please call me. <laughs> Is it a great career and lots of certifications to keep you employable? Is it lots of connections and friends? All of those things and many other things are the things that give us security in life. But as we say down south and in other parts uh, where they hunt, that dog won't hunt. All those things we think are security are not. Every one of those things can be gone in an instant. I don't, I don't care how much money you have available to you. I have seen, you have probably seen, many of you by this point in life, health problems that have wiped out vast fortunes. Just one health issue that turned into 30 happens all the time. What about that career with all those certifications? You've invested your life in it. Who doesn't know someone who worked for an amazing company who walked away from them in a day? I mean, took their retirement with them sometimes. My, my point is, all those things are not treasures. They're not security. We shouldn't even be looking at those things as security. We, we should be looking to God as our security. That's what it means to be kingdom-minded. My security isn't in the numbers, the dollars, the, the resources of this earth that is fading. 
My resources are in heaven. They're in the kingdom. They're with our Father. Now, I'm not telling you to live life irresponsible, cash out your 401k and have a great time. So please don't take it that way. What I am telling you to do is it's okay to have certain things. It is not okay to trust certain things. If your trust is in anything other than God the Father, that's an idol you've built in your life. And, and that's a bad thing. And so, how are we storing our treasures and where are we storing our treasures? I mean, on earth you can store them in bank accounts. and Nowadays they're just like digital things. Is anything real anymore? I don't know. But I do find in the Bible that there are ways that you can store up stuff for later. There are ways that you can... You can start saving in places that aren't on this earth. Did you know that? You can, like, send stuff on ahead. You can. Um, and th- there are probably many, but as I was praying on this, thinking on this, I thought of four ways that, uh, that we, we send on, we lay up treasures in heaven. The first one you know I'm going to say, so I'm going to say it first, get out of the way. Giving. When you give, when you bless others, when you... When you take out of what you think is yours, that's really just a stewardship you have, you send it on to others, whether it's ministries or people, individuals, churches, uh, opportunities to, to bless the world. When you give, God honors giving. He says that when you give, He returns that to you. And actually, we're going to talk about that in several weeks, God's concept of giving and how it affects actually how we judge people, which I know last week you got plenty on judgment, but... Um, he was so much braver than I am. I will give, uh, <clears throat> give him that. Another thing you could send ahead is prayer. Did you know that? Yeah, you see there's this altar in heaven that sits right outside the throne room. The altar of incense, it's symbolized in the temple in Israel. It's the altar of incense. The incense altar symbolizes prayer. And we, when we read in Revelation, we see that it's the prayer of all the saints And that whenever you pray, you are sending incense into that altar. And one of these days, and maybe today, you see out of that, that that incense, those prayers have incredible, explosive, literally explosive power. So you can lay up treasures by giving. You can lay up treasures by praying. Another thing, your tears. Your tears. The Bible tells us in Psalms that God keeps our tears in a bottle. And I believe it's because there is a promise in God's word that one day he's going to wipe away all tears and I think he wants to do it all at one shot. I think he wants to take all the sorrows and the losses and the griefs and the pain and I think he wants to bring it all out at once and and, and let you watch it all evaporate before a God who's a consuming fire. You can send your money ahead. You can send your prayers ahead. You can send your tears ahead. One more, and this one you don't send ahead. You participate in what is ahead, and that's worship. I don't know if you know what worship is. I think a lot of people don't. I think if if people realize what they're doing when they're worshiping, that they would get a lot more excited. What do I mean? 
Today, as we sing that song, Seek First the Kingdom, which I'm going to ask Steve to play every service, now forever, twice. (coughs) Just kidding. As you sing that song and you are participating in worship, you are stepping out of time and into eternity. You are joining a chorus of worship that's happening before the throne room of God. I would say 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, but where this worship happens, there are no days, there are no weeks. You step into eternity. When you worship, you step into a moment. When you worship, you go where your treasure is. You set your heart and desire on the place where you've already sent your your dollars and your sacrifices and your time. The place where you've already sent your prayers and your tears. When you step into worship, you step into a God moment that is timeless. Does that make sense? These are all things, these are ways that we invest in our future. Everybody wants you to invest in your future, save for the future, prepare for the future. What about the future that's on the other side of your tombstone? What about that future? If you're a believer that you only live once, I don't want to insult you, but you're wrong. You only live forever. God's creation is meant to live for eternity. So where are you storing your treasures in heaven and earth? This world's fading away. This is John. John, older, wiser, the one who laid on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper and asked him questions. John, who knew the love of Jesus better than any human who ever lived, in my opinion. And this is John telling us the world's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So I say secure those investments. I say put things where they need to be. Put your faith in your Father God. That's what He wants to be to you. God is the answer you're looking for. He's the deepest, most powerful thing you need. This is where it's at. Now, now God's different. God doesn't do things like you think He should. God doesn't follow instructions very well at all. He doesn't. And because of that, we think we can't trust Him. We think, well, you know what? I asked God to do this one thing in this one way, and He didn't do it. Just like your three-year-old asked you to do this one thing in this one way, and you didn't do it, you big jerk. Someone's got to be the parent. Someone's got to be God who can actually be God. Right? So I'm encouraging you to, 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 to realize that God can be trusted. Is God going to do it the way you want? No. But He's the only thing in your life that will not let you down. He's the only thing that is absolutely trustworthy. That is completely faithful. Will He scare you on the journey? Sure. Sure. Yeah. He will. Not because he's a scary God, but because we are scared kids. We don't know what he's doing. One of our children, when he was young, he's not young anymore, but I mean, I still am, but he's not. And um, he, he he just had to know the plan. 
Just had to know the plan. We get in the car, and we're just going wherever we go. And, and my son's in the back seat and go, where are we going? Where, when are we going to get there? Where are we going? Where are, we, are we there yet? Well, you know, he was a little intense. He's still that intense, by the way. I'll just throw that one out there. But he has children now, so I'm waiting. <sighs> That's how we are with God. God, where are we going? When are we going to get there? When's this all going to turn out? God, I've been praying for this for 20 seconds. I've been praying for this for a week. I've been praying for this for a month. I've been praying this for a year. And you st- we're still not there yet. And all the while, God is being God. God's being awesome. God's being almighty. And God is working not just for your good, but in the good of the lives around you and the good of this world because he's a good God who blesses the just and the unjust. And he's working in your life to do that very thing. And you can trust that he is good. You can trust that whatever you give to him, whatever sacrifice you lay down, whatever you pour out to him, no no matter what it is that he will be faithful, he will return it to you, pressed down, shaken down, and running over. That's the goodness of God in your life. You can trust him. Do you understand? For that to happen, we have to clear our vision. We have to be able to see something. So let's wrap up with this idea. What do you see? Because Jesus, always saying challenging things, says in Matthew 6, 22, your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. It's all the same paragraph. We move from light to darkness to masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So um, the house that we live in, the, the man who built it, the Smiths, friends of ours, built it. Very, Alan was his name, Alan's his name, thinks of everything. So when he built the house, he built it so that in the summer, when the sun's hot, the, the roof line comes down at just the right angle so the sun does not shine in and heat up the house. And in the winter, when it's lower, the angle's perfect so the sun does come in and gives light and warms the house. I love it. He thought this through. I am not smart enough for that. I mean, I would have been in a basement somewhere with just a fake roof on top, a bunker outside with guns. Anyway. (laughs) If your house didn't have electrical lighting and the only way you could get light in it was through windows, then you would be very conscious as to how those windows were constructed what covered them, what angles they sat at. It's the same way with you. The only way to get light into you is through your spirit. And, and it's, that comes in through what you're focused on. It's, that's, so we go through life with our lenses on, and usually they're like really black, smoky, dark sunglasses because we don't want to be seen or known. And here Jesus says, if your eye's unhealthy then everything that's coming into you is going to be unhealthy. And if your eye is healthy, it is going to be healthy. Then he goes on to say no one can serve two masters. What's he telling us? Well, what I think James, where James got the idea 
of, uh, of us focusing and, and not uh, being divided in our thinking or being double-minded in James chapter 1, I think he got it from this teaching of Jesus, where Jesus says, you can only serve one master. So I've listed a whole lot of things that we struggle with in this world, things that we rely on as our God, as things we trust, like our careers, our finances, our homes, all these things. These are things we trust. It is okay to have those things. It is not okay to trust those things. It is not okay to worship those things. It is not okay for those to be in the place of God in your life. Does that make sense? And so what we want to do is we want to get focused on God. I, I bet in the last year, and we're in Wyoming, so I know this is going to be a little bit offensive, and I'm, I'm sorry, it's really kind of a joke. It says, but I bet in the last year several of you actually thought about getting a Tesla. Isn't that funny? Wyoming, nice getting a Tesla. No, I was looking at a natural gas vehicle, but I would never buy that thing. It's funny, it's funny, whenever... Like, I didn't even know there were Teslas in Rock Springs. Like, I saw them put in the electrical chargers out the mall, and I'm going, that is the dumbest thing I ever saw. They're just going to sit there and rust to the ground. Now, when it rains, I go down there and watch and see if they get flooded, see what happens. <laughs> I mean, that's faith. Where I grew up, people smoked at the gas tank. Can you imagine? Never mind. Okay, let's, uh, let's back off of that. I'm sorry. I'm just having more fun than I, I should right there. My point is, is that like if you are interested, like maybe it's a, a new pickup truck or if there's something all of a sudden you get your heart set on, your heart set on a house, a car, some clothing, whatever it is, all of a sudden you begin to see it everywhere. I like those new Ford Broncos. I mean, that's a gift from God right there. I mean, they, I mean the Chevy, that Blazer, it went out a, a beautiful truck and came back as an SUV. What an insult to Chevy. But anyway, um, that's okay. What Ford's doing to the Mustang is its own insult. But still, I, I like that Ford Bronco. I see them everywhere I go. Like, I don't know how many I can afford them, but I mean, I see them everywhere they go. When you're focused, you find what you're looking for. If you're focused on the Father, you're going to find the Father. I promise you that. He is not hard to find. And so if you're focused, you'll find him. But if you're focused on yourself and you're focused on the things that you want, then you're focused on your kingdom and you'll find that too. And that doesn't have as happy an ending as you think it does. If you get everything you want in this life, you still won't have anything. You won't have a single thing that makes it past your funeral. No matter what you get. And Jesus gave us a kingdom that went past. Your vision will be your master. So you have to, that's where we must be, seek God. So let's move into Matthew 6, 25. Jesus said, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Anybody else struggling with that particular verse right now? I'm just saying. I, 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 I was on my way home last night, saw a sign on the side of the road, and it ruined my whole night. That's how stupid I am. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than food? Or are the, the body more than clothing? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Amen. 
Do you think that we should do the stuff that Jesus said? Does it seem to you that as being a disciple of Jesus, you would follow the things that Jesus taught? Hey, I love the rest of the New Testament. Paul, all those guys did a great job. But when we study Paul so much that we believe that we should do something that's the opposite of something that Jesus said, we're missing what Paul said. So Jesus said, my Lord and Savior, my only connection and way to God, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. How could you put the kingdom first in your life? How could you do that in every area of your life? In your career, in your home, in your parenting, in your finances, in our community, in the things that you do and serve. How can we put the kingdom first? And begin to ask yourself as I raise that question, because what happens when you say, okay, seek first the kingdom, there's this part of us that begins to panic. What about me? I get it. And I'll tell you what about you. You are a beloved child of your father. And there isn't one of those little Wyoming finches out there that hits the ground without the father knowing it hits the ground. If he cares that much for little finches, how much does he care for you? Can you trust your father or do you only trust you? That's what this is about. This is what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about moving your faith from you to the Father. It's about realizing that in myself, I have no strength. I have no resources. Everything I think I possess in this life is actually fading away. I have nothing of lasting value in this world. My only hope, my only value comes from my Father. So how can I put the Father first? How can I seek first the kingdom? Seek first the kingdom. You want to know why Christianity is struggling in the Western world? Because we... Churches, denominations, support ministries are seeking their own kingdom first, hoping that what they do will actually somehow contribute to God's kingdom. So we back that up, and we go straight to what Jesus said. And we say, no, seek first the kingdom. The rest of this day, seek first the kingdom. Tomorrow, Monday brings what it brings. Seek first the kingdom. Why? Because the same Father that put His Son on a cross for me, raised Him from the dead for me, is the same Father who cares for me today, and He's already in tomorrow waiting for me to get there. He knows what tomorrow holds, and He's already accumulated the resources I need 
to get through tomorrow. I can trust him. As soon as I realize I can't trust me, attitude of poverty, I can trust him, attitude of abundance, then I can walk into a new life and I can put the kingdom of God first. Let's pray. Father, one of the greatest mistakes I think that we could make in this room is to think that the thing I just taught is the one that I am 100% living in. And that's not true. So I ask that you would take these humble words and help everyone see that this is a struggle that we are in together. That together we learn to seek the kingdom. Together we learn to put the kingdom of God first. We're not in this alone. I also pray for those that are really challenged today because their view of Christianity and religion has, was nowhere near what I just talked about. I pray for them, Lord, that they would, they would begin to question the paradigms that they've accepted and walked in. And I pray that they would seek someone to talk to. And that they would have a new set of questions to pose to you. And it's okay if they pose them to me. I ask you, Lord God, to teach us as a body to seek first the kingdom. Our world right now forever has and forever will needs more than anything the kingdom of God to come and give and manifest and bless here. I ask you to let us be a part of what the kingdom's doing. In Jesus' name, amen.